Welcome to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're excited you've joined us as we hear what God has to say to us through Scripture and this message from Pastor Paul. As we are moving through this Christmas season, we are celebrating the coming of Jesus into human history. And the question we want to ask today is why? Why did Jesus come to the earth? Well, let's start with a few words that Jesus shares to give us clues as to His mission. Now, there are many facets as to why He came, but here are two examples from the Gospel of John. First, in John chapter 6, Jesus says, "'For I have come down from heaven.'" So what He's saying is, He is eternal God who has lived forever in heaven, and He's coming down from heaven. Not to do my will, he says, but to do the will of him who sent me. And then from John chapter 8, Jesus says, I have come here from God. I've not come on my own. God sent me. So on more than one occasion, Jesus has taught that he is eternal God who lived in eternity, in heaven, and God the Father sent God the Son into human history as a human being on a mission. And part of that mission is summarized in the Sermon on the Mount. We saw a part of this passage last week. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, "'Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets.'" Again, that law of the prophets is, an, is a New Testament way of describing the Old Testament. Don't think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Jesus is saying, I have come, and in my coming, I am not getting rid of, I am not diminishing, I am not dismissing any of the Old Testament. So put all this together until, until all things are accomplished, he said. Well, what he accomplished on the cross then made some of what the Old Testament is about uh, more void. For instance, we don't do sacrifices anymore. We don't have to. We have Jesus. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But put all this together, and you get this insight from Jesus in His role on the earth. He says, I've come, sent by my Father into human history as a human being to do His will. And His will is to fulfill and accomplish everything spoken of in the Old Testament. So to understand more fully why Jesus came, we have to connect His life and ministry to the fulfillment of the promises that God provided. We did this last week. We looked at several of the Old Testament promises, the the prophecies. Out of 300, I think we looked at about 10 or 12, all declaring Jesus Christ as the Savior, as the promised one. And they're all fulfilled in Him. All 300 plus in the Old Testament are all fulfilled in one person, that's Jesus Christ. Today, what we want to do is pull back and look at three predominant offices, roles 
that were used in the Old Testament that, again, Jesus fulfills. Those are the three of prophet, priest, and king. The prophet speaks for God. The priest serves for God. The king rules for God. And Jesus comes as the embodiment of all three of these. So what we're going to do is look at the ministry of Jesus in light of these three roles, which in turn gives us, again, some of the reasons why He came. We'll start with Jesus as prophet. When you look at any of the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, you keep going all the way to the end of the Old Testament. What you see in these Old Testaments, kind of the, if you could combine them all together, what you know about a person who was an Old Testament prophet is somebody who was courageous and bold, who preaches, who proclaims, who reveals the truth about God. And because they speak and reveal the truth, a lot of times they're confrontational. Jesus comes to fulfill the role of a prophet. And this was promised way back in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Moses declared that one day an even greater prophet would come and this prophet would supersede all others. Let me share it with you. Deuteronomy 18 beginning at verse 15. The Lord your God, this is Moses speaking this. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. In Acts chapter 3, this passage is quoted from Deuteronomy as being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So Jesus fulfills the role of the Old Testament prophet, but more than that, you see in the Old Testament, there are 221 occasions where the prophet would say something along the lines of, thus says the Lord, or the word of the Lord came to me. So the the prophets would, would hear the truth from God, it would be spoken into their hearts, and then their task is to then share that truth with the people. Jesus does something different. Rather than saying, the the word of the Lord came to me or the Lord said to me, Jesus says things like what's in the Sermon on the Mount that we saw just a little bit ago, truly I tell you. What Jesus is doing is He is speaking the truth of God Himself because The truth comes from Him who is God. That's Jesus. Again, the way that it worked in the Old Testament, truth would come from the prophet, uh, truth would come from God to the prophet, and then from the prophet to the people. And Jesus says, I am God, so the truth starts in me. And what you're hearing, the truth that you're hearing, I'm speaking it. I'm the one. He would appeal to His own authority, and that's why others... Would, would hear him say, even some 50 times in the Gospel of John, this, I tell you, is the truth, or something similar to that. Jesus relied on his own authority. 
He was God. And that's why others would, would hear what he had to say, and, and then they would declare, he teaches like no one else we've ever heard. Like he's got authority. And that's because Jesus does have authority. He's God. Now, for some of us, the hardest role for Jesus to be in for us is as prophet. Not because we don't get it, but because we get it too well. You see, Jesus speaks the truth. The result is, much like the Old Testament prophets, we don't really like to hear what He has to say because it involves our sin. And it's words such as, Repent. Yeah, that's one of the things that the Old Testament themes were built on in, in the prophets. Because their, their job, their ministry, it was to point out sin. Their, their ministry, their task was to point out error and rebellion and hard-heartedness in people's hearts. And they did so courageously and clearly. And if you've been convicted, you'll now know why. Because Jesus brings that conviction. You see, it works like this. You read the Bible, you realize God is holy and and good, and you're not, and you feel convicted. Well, you're supposed to. So that you can repent and confess your sins to God and then reorient your life towards God's purposes and toward a holiness that He can bring. This is how Jesus is fulfilling that role of prophet to confront us, to call us to repentance, to speak the truth to every spot in our lives and say, go and sin no more or knock it off or or, that's evil or this is urgent. So Jesus comes as a truth-telling prophet, but in addition to that, He also comes as a loving, humble, kind, merciful, serving priest. I'll give you some examples, but first, let me, let me make sure we understand the priest's role in the Old Testament. The job of the priest in the Old Testament was to take the hopes, the dreams, the fears, the needs, the sins of the people and be a mediator, an intercessor between the people and God. And, and a lot of times they did that through prayer. And a lot of the Old Testament is filled with prayers of the priests on behalf of the people. But not only did he cover them and and bring their needs and their sins before God through prayer, he would also use animals to sacrifice. The reason for that is that the penalty for sin is death. The animal was used upon which to pin those sins, and that blood shed covered the sins of the people. Jesus comes into human history as a priest because he comes as a human being to identify with us. So he's fully God, we've declared, and he's fully man. Mathematically, that doesn't make sense. You can't have two 100% of something. But in God, in Jesus Christ, you do. He's 100% God. He's 100% man as Jesus on this earth. 
And he has come as a priest to reconnect us to God and to represent us before God because he is also God. And he understands our humanity because he is also a human being. That's why the Apostle Paul, writing to Timothy in his first letter, declares, There is one God, one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all people. He is the only mediator we have. I'm going to give you two places in Scripture where it speaks of this, and they're both going to come from the New Testament book of Hebrews, which is a book almost all about Jesus as our sacrifice and priest. You see, Jesus is not just the priest. He fulfills that role in being the connection between us and God, but at the very same time, He is also the sacrifice. He is the Lamb who is perfect, the one without spot or blemish or any sin, and He shed His blood to take away our sins. So it says in Hebrews 9.26, He, that is Jesus appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of Himself. So Jesus is the priest who also presents a sacrifice. It's Himself. You see, Jesus is the Lamb who was slain, shed blood for our sins. Jesus isn't just a priest who serves us through His death. He also serves us through His rising and His victory, and He is alive and well today. And Jesus is in an ongoing priestly ministry interceding for us 24-7 even now. And that's what it says in Hebrews 7.25. Therefore, He, Jesus, is able to save completely Those who come to God through Him because He always lives to intercede for them. This means Jesus right now is paying attention to you. Not because you're such a great person, but because He's such a great God. And the Bible says Jesus knows every hair on your head. He knows every day of your life. He knows your desires and your longings, your fears, your thoughts. It means Jesus is actually paying attention. What a wonderful gift. Jesus doesn't just go back into heaven and leave us abandoned. He's paying careful attention to your life and He's interceding for you. So when you think of Jesus as priest, think of Him as one who comes alongside as a friend to walk with you. So the prophet, the the earlier ministry that we looked at, the first role of Jesus, the prophet says, here's what you must do to stay in line. And the priest comes along and says, and I'll help you do it. That makes Jesus different than any other God ever. Every other religion who invents a God has as their God someone who tells them, this is what you can do and this is what you can't do and that's it. But our God, the Christian version of the one true God, 
is in Jesus Christ who gets off the throne and he comes down into human history to humbly serve you, love you, encourage you, be friends with you, walk with you, offer you grace and mercy and friendship. And he says, look, here's what I demand of you. But I know you're incapable of doing that, so I'm also coming alongside of you to help you to do it. Let me give you an example from Scripture. In Luke 19.10, Jesus says, for the Son of Man, that's the title for Himself, He pulled that out of Daniel. Uh, Daniel speaks of one like a Son of Man, an eternal God who comes into human history. Jesus is saying this about Himself. For the Son of Man came, why? To seek and to save the lost. Jesus sees us as lost. And what has He come to do? He has come to find us. This is a loving, compassionate, merciful, priestly function. People are lost. I've got to go find them. I've got to go rescue them. Thank God He doesn't leave us where we are. Matthew chapter 9, let me tell you this story. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. All right, so what's Matthew's job? He's a tax collector. Does anyone like Matthew? No. (laughs) I mean, how many of you love the IRS? I've got to find friends. Well, let me go down to the tax office. You don't do that. And the way that it worked in Matthew's day is that he would collect taxes for the Roman government. But he himself was a Jewish person. And and so the tax collecting, he would be taking taxes from his own people to pass along to Rome, but it gets better or worse, depending on the way you want to look at it. The way in which the tax collector earned money and more and more money is that, okay, this is how much he comes to your house, this is how much you owe Rome, but I'm going to squeeze you his much as I can, because everything beyond what I have to send to Rome goes right here, and 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 right here. And they get rich off the backs of his own people. He's a total sellout, a traitor. You know it's a very bad day if he comes to your house. He's going to tell you what you owe. And then he's going to squeeze more out of you. That's his living. This is not a guy that anyone likes being around. And where is he? He's at his tax booth. And who comes by? Jesus. And Jesus says to him, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. Now, do you think anyone ever had gone to Matthew's house for dinner? No. He's the reject. He's the outcast. He's the guy no one likes. No one wants to hang out with Matthew. Jesus does. And Jesus asks to have as a friend, to have dinner with one of the most crooked, corrupt folks in all of town. He went to Matthew's house to have dinner with many tax collectors and sinners. They came to eat with him and his disciples. Well, they weren't the only ones that showed up. When the Pharisees saw this, these are the religious elite. 
the religious guys. Don't you love religious people? Religious, in case you don't know this, religious people don't get a high mark in Scripture. They are the, and these are the worst kind of religious people. These are the ones who look down on others, make judgments. They're so hypocritical and self-righteous. The Pharisees saw this. In other words, they came by. They asked Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Their question, why is he hanging out with sinners and rebels and lawbreakers and freaks and weirdos and nut jobs and wrestling fans? Why? Why is he with those guys? Why isn't he with respectable people like me? That's their question. On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. This would be like going into the hospital and asking, huh, why is the doctor here? Why is Jesus hanging out with sinners? Because they, we, need salvation. And see, religious people stand back and they say, oh, those people are messed up. Right. So they need love and mercy and grace and friendship and encouragement and help. They need someone to love them with the love that God comes through with. And religious people sometimes don't get that. So Jesus completes his thought. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Not religion, not your set of rules and regulations, not your checklist. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners, and that should be everyone. The verse that perhaps sums all this up best is found in Hebrews chapter 4. We do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You see, Jesus is sympathetic. You say, I'm being tempted. Well, Jesus was tempted. You can run to Him, and He'll help you. You can say, you know, I'm feeling weak or sick or suffering. I'm disappointed, or, or things have gone bad with my family or friends. Jesus sympathizes. He came into human history. Though He is God, He lived a human life. He's been tempted. He's had friends betray Him. Family turned their backs on Him. He was homeless, rejected, lied about. He's lost people He loved. He sympathizes. And the cool thing is that Jesus isn't just a God who steps back and gives orders and has no idea what it's like to live in a corrupt, fallen, sinful world. Jesus has come humbly, walked this earth, and lived the life. He understands where you are. And when we need Him most, we can run to Him. And you will find grace and mercy and forgiveness and encouragement and friendship and help and support and unbelievable patience. So Jesus fulfilled 
the role of prophet. As one who speaks the truth that we must listen to and repent and obey. But he also comes to reveal himself as priest, the one who comes alongside, the one who makes obedience possible. And and then the third ministry of Jesus, the third role that he fulfills from the Old Testament is that of king. That is that he rules over all peoples and times and places, over all cultures and every aspect of your life. When we say Jesus is Lord, that's exactly what we're talking about. And, you know, Jesus speaks of himself as king when he says to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. So Jesus has a kingdom. He is a king. But it's over all of creation, visible and invisible, material and spiritual. That means that Jesus, his rule extends over every aspect of our life. Reading this verse from John 10, 10, he says, I have come, why? That they may have life and have it to the full. One of the reasons Jesus came to be our king, to give us life, a full life that is lived as Jesus rules over it. So that means Jesus rules and reigns over nations, tribes, languages, tongues, peoples, cultures, religions, philosophies, all of it. Jesus as Lord means... Well, let me get real practical. Jesus as Lord means He has jurisdiction over your addiction. He has jurisdiction over your debit cards and over your friends and over your hobbies and over your choices of entertainment and over your job. Jesus has authority over your work ethic and, dare I say, driving habits. And I hate to use that in public because now I've got to own up to it. <laughs> Let me tell you why all this, what all this means. That Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. And why we need all three. Again, trying to be practical. Maybe you get this desire to start reading the Bible. Now you're reading the Bible and you realize who Jesus is and that you're a sinner, that He's lived and died and rose, and He's God. And so you start feeling convicted of sin. You don't don't match up to what you're reading in Scripture. You're feeling convicted of of pride. You're feeling convicted of the desires within your heart, and Jesus, that's Him working on you. That's him coming to you as a prophet and saying, stop, repent, turn around, go elsewhere. And then he comes alongside of you as a priest and he says, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to change you. I'm going to walk with you. I'll give you hope, encouragement, and help. I'll be your friend. All of a sudden, you're, you're loving reading the Bible and you're learning about Jesus and it starts to dawn on you that Jesus is king and you, now you start thinking, okay, for him to be king in my life, for him to have rule and authority and reign in my life and jurisdiction, what does that mean for my declared major? What does that mean for my work ethic and, and my money? And, and I start tithing and what does that mean for my schedule? And now I... 
I need to go to church. And, and, and then what about getting involved in a Bible study or a Sunday school or something? And, and now you're realizing this Jesus as King, as Lord, affects everything. My income. My work ethic, my sexuality, my, my friendships, my schedule is going to affect my marriage, my, my kids, my politics, my ethics. Jesus is over it all. That means I've got to look at my whole life and figure out, okay, where does this or does it not connect to Jesus in my life? You see, there are going to be times where Jesus comes to you as a prophet to speak very pointedly very truthfully, and to call you in to repentance, to point out your sin, and it's strong, and it's compelling. And if you're repentant, Jesus comes alongside of you as a priest to love you, encourage you, to talk with you, to walk with you, to be your friend, to give you grace, mercy, peace, forgiveness, so that you can walk in holiness and obedience a little bit more, a little bit more. And the more you walk with Him, you realize, okay, there's an issue that we've got to work on, Jesus and me. And you're working on that, and you're getting through that, and you look around your life, and you say, oh, there's another one that's kind of a mess. So now you're working together over here, and then when that one gets under control, you, you look at the landscape, there's, there's more. And what I found is that's the Christian life. There are seasons of conviction. There are seasons of change and transformation. There are seasons where you want to find out how Jesus is not rightly connected to an aspect of your life, and then He invites you to join Him in a transformation as He works on your life. And the reason I'm emphasizing all this is I'm assuming that every one of us has strengths and weaknesses in our understanding of who Jesus is in these three roles. Maybe you get the prophet part. You'd say, yeah, the Bible is true. Jesus speaks to me. He speaks the truth right here. He's pointing out my sin. I get it. For some of you, the priest function in Jesus makes the most sense. He loves me. He walks with me. He's encouraging, comforting, helpful. How many of you get the kingly part? That He's over everything. It's all about Him. The problem is, if you don't understand all three, you'll have a diminished view of who Jesus is and what He wants to do in your life. And He wants us to be so clear. You see, as you start to grow in your understanding of all three of these, as prophet, as priest, as king, I assure you, you'll be changed. You'll desire to love Him more than you ever have, you'll enjoy Him more than you ever have. And you'll find out that you'll need Him when you need Him most, that you'll run to Him and not from Him. Because you'll understand that He's there for you. And He will receive you in love. We hope you found this message to be encouraging. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and at bhprez.org for more information.